You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Today's focal passage will be on the screens. Also encourage you, if you have a Bible in your hand, to turn to it or an app. It's Hosea chapter 5, 1, the whole chapter, and then we're going through um, chapter 6, verse 3. So Hosea chapter 5, 1 through chapter 6, verse 3. We'll give you a second to, to find it, and we'll read it out loud together. It's Isaiah chapter 5. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For the judgment is for you, for you, Lord. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will dis- discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gibeah. The trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm in Bethaven. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark upon them. I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim. And like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. This is chapter 6, 1 through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord, His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You can now have a seat and the kids can be dismissed to their class. Hey all, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Pretty obvious and easy uh, understanding of what's going on there. In that, uh, I, I kid, we preach through books of the Bible often kind of swerving from Old Testament to New Testament. We'll do some thematic or topical short series in between throughout the course of a year. And we do that to like learn about God's story with God's people. And so there are a lot of names in that focal passage and city names. Most of those 
those weird names that you don't know anything about that don't make any sense are names of cities. And so uh, we'll try to give some context and, um, and see what happens. So first, would you pray with me? And then we'll kind of dive in. God, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you, you have a pattern of warning your people before you judge. And you are just and you are a just judge but, but would you show us today what it is that you have warned your people uh, long ago and throughout the history of, the, uh, of their relationship with you? And, and would you show us today how you would like to warn us of, of coming judgment? And would you show us what it looks like to turn from our sin, turn from our judgment, and turn to you by the grace that you offer us? And, and would you show us what it looks like to receive that offer of grace. We need you. It is a gift to sit under your word together, to sing to you and about you with others who are journeying through life, just trying to, to figure out what it looks like to, to walk with you in a world that is not our own. God, we need you. Thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Real warnings require response and, and real action. Like, uh, the bridge is out. The bridge is out ahead. Uh, as, as you're driving 70 down the interstate, that means something. It should mean something to you. And if you neglect that warning or you fail to respond, then, then you will probably suffer. And now, I, I understand that the greater the danger, the more obvious the warnings might be. And some things might be subtle and you might just pass over those, and some might be, uh, if the bridge was out, they would probably have more than one sign letting you know, and, and eventually you probably just wouldn't be able to get there, and some people would just blast through the cones and, and, and drive on into uh, their, their suffering. Our culture, uh, our culture of lawsuit and litigation, it means something for us when we think about warnings. It, it means that we have a, a low personal responsibility of wise living. That is, we're not often personally accountable. We're always looking for, uh, you know, we make a bad choice, and so often in our culture that means that we get rich from that, right? If there's a loophole or, or, or a caveat, uh, a caveat or, or whatever, that, that the, the thing, whatever we did, didn't warn us about, even though it would have been quite obvious that you shouldn't do that. Uh, we're no stranger to warnings, steep cliff, hot coffee, choking hazard, objects in mirror are closer than they appear, no diving, all the things, wet floor. Like we see these things all the time and some of them we might make note of and some of them we might not. We are in danger though because of that. We are in danger of becoming numb to true warnings. And what that looks like is the check engine light comes on and you think, it's probably fine. Like the car, wait, listen, yeah, the car's still running. Like we're fine, right? Or, or like maybe for some of you more than others, like low fuel light. And some of you would be like, I didn't know that my car had that because I fill up at half a tank. And some of you would be like, yeah, no, you can go way beyond whenever that thing comes up. <laughs> and so like how we respond or like wear your retainer, right? That's something that's personal to me. Like, wear your retainer. It'll probably be fine if I don't. No, it, it probably won't. Like, you should really do that. Um, so so uh, warnings are only effective to the extent that, one, they're true. 
They, they have to be true. It, it's, it's not like, when I get to three, like, you're going to be in big trouble. And then we use words like 2.5, right? That, that's, that's not really the thing, but, but they have to be true. And secondly, we, we actually have to respond to them. They're effective to the extent that we actually respond. Like, like we have to acknowledge the warning. We have to see it. We have to respect it and, and take it seriously, and we have to act upon it. And so when we acknowledge and we, we respect and when we act upon legitimate warnings, we are spared from undue danger. And that's true for the way that we drive over bridges, which freeze before roadways. And it's also true for the warnings from God to and for his people. And what we see today is, is a warning. And in, and in this journey where we're w- walking through the words of the prophet Hosea to Israel, uh, predominantly uh, some wayward people, some people who have forsaken the Lord, he, he's perpetually warning them. It's, it's, a, it's a journey of God and his people through this vocal prophet who's telling them, he, he's sounding the alarm, stop living that way, please come home. And so kind of our main idea today is, is alarm sirens from God are a gift if we turn to receive the offer of grace. Alarm sirens from God are a gift if we turn to receive the offer of grace. And so God uses prophets to warn his people. Jesus warned the world. God used the apostles in the New Testament to warn the world. God uses the church even today to warn the world. And and today he, he might even be warning us or inviting us to warn others. So I'm inviting you into three things today. To, to listen to a warning, right? Here, here's a warning we're going to look at. To turn to the Lord and to embrace his grace. That's what I'm inviting you into today through this passage. And, and it is a long focal text, so I'll be skimming some large chunks of it. The first thing that we see is this. We get to heed the warning of God's judgment. I go back to the parent who, who counts to three and, and uses the word two and a half. And we've probably all done that. We've probably all maybe received that. And so like, I, there's no, no shame, but there, there is something that we have to understand when that happens, right? The two and a half caveat is an acknowledgement either that like you just really don't want to get to three. <laughs> like, don't, please don't make me do this. Or it's an acknowledgement of undermined authority, where the child knows and you know that whatever you're saying really isn't true. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, my, my guess is they know it more than you know it if you use uh, two and a half. But, but this isn't a parenting class, whatever. So, so, so what he's saying, not even you believe that you're going to do anything at three, but here's the thing, that is not so with the Lord. He warns, he is gracious, he is merciful, he is fueled by steadfast love, but his perfect patience has an end. To think that the Lord is perfectly patient doesn't mean that that his patience never runs out because then he, he couldn't possibly be perfectly 
just. His perfect patience has an end and his judgment has a beginning and against his judgment none can stand. And so for the first 15, we'll walk through this list of things that we see that the, that the warning is, is sounding and he's saying heed this warning. First he says that the priest, the house of Israel, uh, this judgment is for you and that's a continuation from what we looked at last week. He says, revolters, you, you rebels, have gone the way that leads to slaughter, and I will discipline you all. He goes on, Ephraim, which is a tribe of Israel, and so it would be like referring to the United States as like Washington or something like that. Um, and so, so again, I, I know that's confusing when you're reading it, but it's, it's just one of the cities in Israel for short. So it's, it's a tribe of Israel. Ephraim, you're dirty. Your actions don't allow you to return to my presence. That's a, that's a tough judgment. Your pride leads you to stumble in guilt. He says, you'll seek the Lord and he will not be found. He's withdrawn from you. You've been unfaithful and you've been faithless and, and he doesn't know you. And, and if I'm being honest, the first few times I read that this week, it's like, okay, like God's, he, like you'll seek him and he won't be found. But then like as I sit in this, that, that is, is nearly the, the weightiest warning to all of us. Can you imagine having a relationship with, with God or you turn to him, and he will not be found. So he says, blow the horn, blast the trumpet, sound the alarm. And this is military language. This is, this is uh, there's an impending onslaught. There's like, get everything ready, because, like, 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 sound the alarm, because we're getting ready to be attacked. The Assyrians will attack from the north, and, and they will. But, but what we see is that it's actually the Lord himself coming against his people because of their wayward lives. And he, and he says, I'll be like water. If you ever seen like how powerful water is and like a tsunami, it just comes in and, and, and sometimes even slowly and it just washes away everything. And, and against that wave, nothing can stand. He says, you'll be crushed in judgment to them. I'll just put, put holes in you, and you won't, you won't even know where it came from. And then he says, to Judah in the south, I'll be like dry rot. If you think about dry rot, a rubber band or whatever, and, and you think it's fine, and you look at it, and then you pull it, and it just snaps. It's brittle. That's the Lord saying that that's what he's going to be to his people. And he says, how will you respond? He says, you'll, you'll run to the king of Assyria. You will run to the mightiest power on the earth, the one that's actually going to overtake you, but he will not be able to cure your wound. Again, this is the adultery theme. Go, go be loyal to the kings of the earth. Even though we made a vow together, you, you have forsaken the way. You, you, it's, it's no longer us. It's, it's you and, and the world. And then he goes on, he says, I'm a lion. I'll tear down and I'll carry off. None can rescue. I'll let Assyria conquer and, and send you into exile, the nation of Israel. 
And if you know anything about the history of God's people, like exile is a big part of it. That, that they have a place to worship, and then someone comes in and they, they like, like uh, stepping on ants that are on a piece of candy on the sidewalk. They just scatter out. And then, then they try to come back together, and, and maybe God would allow them. He, he has, through the exodus, brought them. Judgment will come and scatter them away. So it's exile language, and, and, and this is what he's saying. So like you're familiar with you know, Johnny Appleseed, and like the redcoats are coming. Well, this is the alarm that, that the Assyrians are coming. And worse than that, it is the hand of the Lord that's coming against us. That's, that's heavy. It's a lot of judgment stuff. Years ago, I lived and worked in Trenton. If you live there, you call it Trenton. But uh, Trenton, not far from here. And, and they, I remember they installed like tornado sirens, and there were a few throughout the city. And, and the first time one of them went off, it was like, oh, like there's, I don't know what's happening. Is it an air raid or like what is happening? Um, but then it's like, oh, no, it's just they do that. And then you find out like, oh, it's like the, they just test it once a month, like the first Wednesday of the month at noon or something like that. And, and at first it would go off and I would be curious like, wait, what? Oh, that's the thing. You know, like, oh, my heart. Then it's like, oh. And then, and then after a while, I would hear it. And then I would like maybe glance like out the window, look at the sky, look at, you know, the calendar and be like, oh, no, it's just the test. It's just the test, right? And then eventually, it meant virtually nothing. Like, even if there was a tornado like knocking at my door, it just didn't mean anything to me because it just once a month, right? Um, but, but here, it's, that's not so. And, and in fact, that's the warning that you should not be comfortable, that you should heed this warning of judgment. The winds have shifted in our relationship. The clouds are moving in. The thunder rolls. The smell of rain is in the air. There is a storm of judgment at the door. A, a fool is the one who heeds not this warning. Do not grow numb. Do not do as those who, who die when... when the Coast Guard uh, sends out, and I'll just like, you know, board up the windows, and then the whole town gets swept away. What, what Jose is saying is, don't do that. Please don't do that. Heed the call that the judgment of the Lord is coming. Get up and move upon this warning. What's coming to God's people in, in this time and in this place, but the reality is that the judgment for you the judgment for me, the judgment for neighbor, the judgment for friend, the judgment for family. It's in, in some ways, it's just the same today. And when we look at this stuff, especially prophecies of old and things that, that all the stuff that Hosea is saying, it actually ends up, ends up happening. Israel does, or Assyria does come down and wipe Israel off of the planet for a time. But for us, it's, it's hard to say, like, well, what does that mean for us? And there is a longer view in mind. There are some physical realities that are tethered to time and place, tribes and cities and kings. But there are some greater spiritual realities where, where heaven meets earth without bounds, and they are eternal, and they are boundless realities that, that scream the same siren to us today. Heed the warning of judgment, else there's hell to pay. 
and separation from the grace and the mercy of God and separation from God's people forever. And, and suffering beyond measure, not because God is unjust or unkind, but because he is just and because the sin of all of us, it breaks. It breaks our relationship. It breaks creation. It breaks us away from the goodness of the Lord. God's judgment. The second thing is, is turn back to God's presence. And we'll just look at verse 15. This is what he says. He says, I will return again to my place. Like, I'll go home. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. This is like a really helpful, really sweet verse of scripture. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. Like, do you know what the Bible calls such a move? You know what the Bible calls such a response that, that acknowledges guilt and seeks the Lord? Repentance. That's what, that's what the Bible calls us to. It's, it's the first evidence of new life. Repentance is the first evidence of new life. And you might say, well, no, it's not evidence. It's like the thing that is new life. And, and I would say, like, if you have a heart to turn to the Lord, it's because he has breathed life in you to open your eyes that you might turn, that you might repent. Repentance is the first evidence of God's new life inside of us. This is the perpetual warning and the invitation of God's people here and in all of the prophets and, and certainly you think of, of Jonah. If you know anything about Jonah, God called him to go to Nineveh and tell them that they were sinful people and that they needed to turn to him. And he rejected that and he didn't. And finally, God made sure that they heard the, the call to repent. And we see in the Gospels and we see in the New Testament all of life and certainly all of this book is a call for us to turn from wicked ways, turn to the Lord. 700 Plus years later, from this time in Hosea, Jesus shows up, and in the first chapter of Mark, he says the same thing. He says, he says the kingdom is near. Repent and believe. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe. That's, that's Jesus initiating his, his ministry, and his call is this, to, to repent and believe. One says this uh, about that passage, he says, Jesus calling his listeners to repent indicated that, that, that they needed to change their minds. That he told them to believe in the gospel indicated how they needed to change their minds. So Mark refers to Jesus' message as, as the gospel of God or the good news of God. Or that's why we talk about so much everything that we do. The good news is the gospel. It's, it's the work of Jesus. It was good news that the listeners for how to be part of 
that kingdom. And, and in some ways, it, it doesn't change. Hosea is, is really, he's, he's doing the same thing. You'll be cast off. You'll be cut away. I'm withdrawn and not accessible to you. You will, you will no longer be citizens of the kingdom of God. You're no longer part of this covenant family. We're not doing this together any longer. Even when you seek me, I'll not be found because your hearts are far from me. See, repentance is always a matter of a allegiance to a king. It's a, it's a heart issue of the kingdom. To repent is to turn. So when you see the word repent and believe, what we're thinking is we must turn. When we, when we hear the call repeated from Jesus, repent and believe, we think turn and behold. And this has been even prayerfully this week as I'm thinking through this stuff like repent and believe and and sometimes that's like ah like what is that calling me to do and so I've been like I need to turn and behold the reality is it's more than just acknowledging can believe something but but what we see is is the demons believed in Jesus and they trembled yet they opposed his kingdom and they opposed his every work so we get to turn and we get to behold. We get to turn from something to something else. And what Hosea says is, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, I, I will not be found. So what is our invitation to repent even right now? Well, it's, it's twofold. We get to acknowledge our guilt. No excuses. And we get to seek the Lord, not his stuff, not his blessings, not, oh man, life is hard, but if I, if I turn to the Lord, then maybe it won't be so hard. No, we get to acknowledge our guilt, no excuse, and we get to seek the Lord, not just his hand, but him. And on one hand, this is really simple, like I get to turn and behold, and on the other, we fight against its simplicity. We overcomplicate our relationship with God and, and all of the foundations. And this becomes really difficult. Here's why. Acknowledge guilt. Who wants to do that? Who, who wants to acknowledge their guilt? No one wants to do that. That's why when we're confronted, who doesn't, who doesn't first defend themselves? And I mean like little stuff. Hey, who keeps leaving the bathroom light on? Hey, it wasn't me. No, I was the one. Like, you don't even think through. It doesn't even matter what it is. You're just like, oh, it was not me. And I'll sort through the facts later. Like, I will defend myself first, and I will figure out if I ought to be defended later. That's, that's what we do. And, and certainly that's true when it comes to, to larger accusations, certainly from the Lord. We, we build a case. We present evidence. We, we, we probably even begin to attack the accuser. Like, what's it to you anyway? Why do you, you know, like, that, that's just what we do. Yet, the good news of our freedom, certainly in Christ, is that to be part of the family of God, we must be free to confess our wayward heart, our failures, our sin, our bad intentions, our rebel ways. I, I, I just want you to know that. If you think that our part in all this is to just get it right and be better than our neighbor, 
That, that is not the way of this kingdom. The way of this kingdom is repent and believe. And to do that, we must overthrow and we must dethrone the influence of our, what Paul Tripp calls the internal lawyer who's always quick to defend us, first to ourselves and then to others. We must dethrone the influence of our internal lawyer who defends us through loopholes and excuses. And we must come to a place where we can say this simply, I am a sinner. God save me. Like it's so, it's so simple and it's so hard. This is the way of the kingdom. It's the way at once for salvation, once and for all. God save me. I, I am a sinner. That's who I am. That's my default nature. I, I'm a rebel against you and, and I've lived my life for me or for other kings or, or, or for whatever it is. And, and today I, I want to do what you invite me to. I want to turn and I want to behold you and I want to spend the rest of my life doing this simple thing, following Jesus. It's true. It's true. Once for salvation, and it's true in ongoing life with the Lord, the word that we, we call sanctification, which is like the process of becoming like Jesus, the process, the formation of us being conformed to the image of God. And, and it's been said in many ways, a thousand ways, but, but essentially what we get to do is we get to see this reality as good news, that I'm a far bigger sinner than I would like to believe. But God's grace and his love for me is far bigger than I could ever imagine. Both of those things can be true. So we get to acknowledge our guilt, turn, and we get to seek the Lord. We get to, uh, for some, even today, it might be returning to the Lord. And for some, it might be, for the first time ever, turning to him. But, but we get to return to him or turn to him. We get to reorient our life with him. And this book at the very center of it. And we get to let everything else flow from who he is. And like one little caveat. That shouldn't make us ultra-critical people. <laughs> like, that, that's dangerous to say, oh, Jesus and this book at the center of our life, it shouldn't make us ultra-critical people. It shouldn't make us, like, better judges, judges of our neighbor. It shouldn't make us, like, have the persona as if we're walking around life with a clipboard and we're just, like, marking people off and crossing people out. It should give us a love first that is received from God as we know him and as this truth makes known the depths of wickedness within each of our hearts but then we get to see his, his love and his grace sufficient splashing all over the mess that we make with our life and that shows us then the way that we get to live with others isn't clipboard and check marks but it's delightful obedience, loving one another, the Lord, ourselves, loving neighbor, and, and loving enemy. And this isn't the time or space, but you need to figure out who your enemy is. 
and, and who your enemy's not. So, so we get to do that. And then as we read in this passage, it, it says that we get to do this. We get to return to him, and then we get to what? We get to press on. Like, what a beautiful thing, because it's not just this passive thing. Like, I want to turn to the Lord. Like, I'm, like, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. And then it, seasons change and you get cold. Come Jesus, I'm like so ready. Like, these people, this world, so, come Lord no, we get to press on. And that means we get to do the work to know him. And then he goes on, it says, press on to know him. And, and so that's, as we talked about last week, that's both in knowledge and in relationship. Like, know him. It's not just have a brain that can acknowledge him or that can sort out systematic theology like we talked about last week. Like, and so some of the encouragement, and I didn't get to it all last week, but but like, do the things that you do and, and watch Netflix and YouTube. But like, turn off like autoplay next and just pause for a second and, and, and have a Bible next to you on your couch. And like, before you just autoplay next, just, hey, let's, what if we open this book and just read a psalm together? Then we can jump back into whatever dark thriller you're consumed by. But, but for real. Like, certainly we get to reorient our rhythms and patterns and whatever, but we get to be mindful with how we use our days. Every time I get in my car, man, I want that to be a, a cue for me to just, to just stop, forget about what I have to do, where I'm going. On the, uh, I'm just going to take 30 seconds. I just want to pray to reorient my heart. Every time I get in the car. You do whatever you want to do. I'm just saying, like, we get to be mindful about how we press on to know him. And, man, invite others into those things as well. We get to, to set aside moments in the day to seek him, to press in, to know him, to, to pray, to read, to process. Hey, I know we don't talk much, but we're in the same community group, and uh, I know we had a conversation last week, and I, I just wanted to get your thoughts about that. And I've been thinking about whatever. Would you help me? Would you pray with me about like, just, just how can we just press in a little bit? How can we reflect together? How can we turn from something to the Lord? And here's the beauty. It doesn't matter what the current status of your life with God was. When you walked through those stairs or got on the elevator, we did not paint the stairwell the people who own this building did, for better or for worse. I'm just like super thankful. They care about stuff. Orange wasn't great. That color is, it's like a color too. And like, right? <laughs> so, but we didn't do that. But it doesn't matter. But, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter what the current status of your life was with the Lord when you walked down the stairs or when you got in that elevator. It doesn't matter. You could be like me and the Lord. Oh man, like we just met. And this is all new to me. I'm really excited. I don't even know what to do. I mean, I, I love that. And I want to have coffee with you because you're typically funner to be around than other people who have been doing this for a long time. That's not true. That's true. Um, maybe you would say, like, me and the Lord, like, we're divorced right now. And it's been really hard. And I'm trying to figure it out. Or maybe you would say there's ongoing betrayal. And, and my guess is that that's on you. 
but even the way that you feel towards the Lord, that, that's okay. We want to process that stuff with you. Maybe you'd say like, oh, me and the Lord, when I walked in here this morning, uh, I would say we're unreconciled. Like we are, uh, we're on a break, right? Uh, we're not together. Or maybe you would just say, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I lived my life like this for 15 years, but I'm beginning to see that maybe that wasn't what, like, that, that's okay. Maybe your relationship with the Lord is misunderstood. Maybe you find yourself too guilty to even look at him. Maybe you're too prideful to admit your guilt. You can't do that. Maybe you're defensive. Maybe your relationship with him is shattered and broken, and maybe it's hopeless. But here's the beauty. It doesn't matter what your relationship with him is like when you walked down those stairs. What matters more than that is the way that you walk out of this place. Everyone has baggage, spiritual baggage, physical baggage. Everyone does. You, you are no different. And you might say, well, you don't know my life. And I, th- I might not know your life. Let someone in. And, and let someone like, work through that stuff and, and figure out what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus in spite of the life that you have. But, but today, what we get to do is in heart. And not with a head down brokenness, but I get to turn to him. And I get to behold him even right now. The last thing is, is we get to embrace the life in God's grace. Imagine a desert wasteland. Dry. Any life that is there is weak and brittle parched carcasses, cow skulls, only the head, never the body, prickly, scaled, and hardened, or, or crawling towards death. That, that is the imagery of the picture that we all are living in apart from repentance and belief. Whether you know it or not, that's your life apart from the Lord. We are, we are dead in our sins. We are condemned in our offenses and our trespasses. And none are exempt. None. Not one. Have that picture in mind while I read Psalm chapter 1. It goes like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Listen to what his life is like. The one who turns from the wicked and turns to the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, they are not so, but they are like chaff, which is like the, the lightest part of, of grain, if you were doing this with a, a bucket of grain, it's the stuff that flies up in the air and it just gets blown away. That's, that's the way of the wicked. The wicked are, are not so, they're like chaff that, that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Righteous live, wicked perish. This is encouragement 
and this is warning. And so he says in, in chapter 6, 1 through 3, he says, Return to the Lord. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck down that he may bind up. And then he says this thing, it's super curious. He says, after two days he will revive. That is like to breathe life, you know. And after three days he will raise us up. He will resurrect. He will allow us to return from exile as God's people. If you open Bible, morning, just reading through, I'm just reading through it. And, and again, you're reading the Bible. It doesn't feel supernatural all the time. It's the course of your life. Submit to this book. You read this and you're like, oh, city, town, I don't get what's happening. He uses that word a lot, uh, whatever. And then you get to this point and he says, man, it's, it's judgment against Israel. Judgment's coming. And then he says, but after two days he will revive and after three days he will raise us up. You might be like, Huh. Wrote a couple endings. <laughs> There's a director's cut later coming out with some alternate endings to this sermon, but um, that's not true. It's unreleased. We'll never release that. What I want to do is, uh, so we give our community group leaders a commentary over the books that we walk through, and so rather than uh, kind of spoon-feeding them with, like, answer these five questions every week, we, we give them commentaries and, and an open Bible, and we say kind of dig in. We want to help you. But this commentary, it helps set up what's happening here better than I ever could. So sit down. I want to read for a minute. You're already sitting. It's great. Now this might, now remember, like after three days, we'll raise us up. It's Hosea. It's 750 BC. They've never heard the name of Jesus. What do we do with that? Now this might remind you of something. It may well be Verses like this that Paul had in mind when he says that Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So later on in the New Testament, he says that maybe Paul has this in Hosea in mind. But before we rush ahead, we need to ask what Hosea meant by this verse. Super important, right? Because whether Hosea had in mind the empty tomb is less clear. Hosea probably was not thinking, oh man, when Jesus comes, everyone's going to know what I was writing about. He didn't know that. And yet, it's coherent. The Lord surely did. Because whether Hosea had in mind the empty tomb is less clear, but he could see that God's people would be destroyed in judgment. He knew that if God were against them, then they would be utterly destroyed. If God tears you apart, then who can heal? Yet, Hosea believed that somehow God would restore his people. A day would come when God's people would be judged by God. They would be torn apart, destroyed, carried off with no one to rescue them. But God is true to his gracious promises and God is true to his gracious character. And so Hosea believed that somehow God would destroy his people and then he would revive them. They would be wiped off the map and wiped out of history, but God would revive them and restore them. 750 years or so later, Jesus was arrested and his disciples scattered of the people of God, Jesus. Jesus is not 
only the Son of God. He is also the people of God. He is our representative. He is the real Israel. The faith in the end, there is only one faithful member of the people of God. And on that dark day, he was arrested and condemned and crucified. He died and there was no one left. God's people were destroyed. God's people were struck down when Jesus, our representative, was struck down. There were no people of God. It was the end of the line. The story was over. God's purpose was finished. As you look across the whole sweep of human history, there was only one faithful person. The faithful remnant came down to just one person, one true Israelite, one true man of God, one true church member. And now even he is dead. There was no one left, not one. But three days later, Jesus walked from the tomb. The people who were dead are given new life. The people who were carried away are restored. The story was over. Uh, the story that was over begins a new chapter. I mean, the story that was over begins a new chapter. Hosea meets Jesus, meets us. Hosea didn't know the means, but he knew the ends. And in the face of judgment, the sunrise ahead was built up. It was built upon a promise and a hope that God would raise his people from their end. It's the same promise that we behold today looking back at the assurance of the cross and looking forward to the assurance of, of one day he will make all things new. So what are we going to do? We get to run to him. We may be wounded, but he will heal. He may have torn down, but he will build up. The Lord has judged so that, so that he might save. We have been struck by the lion, dead and cast off, but we will be restored and resurrected in a matter of days through a new exodus, a new marriage, a new covenant in Christ. And in that new covenant, no longer slaves to the law, but life abundantly motivated by his love for us. And then it closes out like this. In, in Hosea 6.3, he says, he goes out as sure as the dawn. He, he goes away. But he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. See, rain for us, they're teeming with life. Right? They discover new plants and animals and bugs literally every day in the rainforest. It's just life everywhere because rain, like, is in the name, right? Rain gives life. Gardens need rain, but, but so do great love stories. You think of the notebook. You think of Jim and Pam's proposal. Like, the rain just, it, it takes us to this idea of, of just dancing in the rain with the one that we love, freely embracing each other, and love that overcomes all things, and certainly the analogy breaks down, but, but that's the freedom of life giving rain, the rain of grace splashing down to breathe life to all that was once broken that we might be restored and built up. As the band comes up, point to just three really quick things here, this last 
slide, you might be saying, what do I need to repent of? You might need to repent of a sin. I did that thing 10 years ago or I did that thing 10 minutes ago and it hurt people and it hurt the Lord and the first thing that I need to do is I need to be man or woman enough to turn to the Lord and say, it was me and I've been running from it, but I did that. And then we get to make it right by, by going to the people and the places that, that we did harm and by God's grace, we get to engage that. Maybe it's a pattern of sin Maybe you, you know this whole time. You're like rejecting this idea of judgment because you know the life that you live. You know that you want to walk with the Lord, but the life that you live is, is far from him. You have a pattern of sin in your life that you need to be freed from. And, and thirdly, maybe you've never come to a place and you've been a slave to sin all your life, and maybe you never knew it until this moment right now. The invitation is to no longer be a slave to sin, but to be a slave to righteousness, that we might live the full, abundant life with Jesus and his people forever. We get to respond. As the band plays, you can sit down, can pray, stand up, sing. There's a prayer bench over there if you just need some space to kneel. There are some people back there that would love to pray with you by that red tree. For those who are in Christ, we take communion and we do this with, with a serious weight about what we're doing because the, the scriptures teach us that, that we don't do this in an unworthy manner. So we get to reflect, consider our hearts, where we're wayward, where we have tension with other people. We get to make those things right before we come and partake of this. But as we do, we get to remember and we get to declare and delight in the body and the blood broken and spilled for us. And we do that by taking of the, the cracker and the cup. Would you pray with me, God? Thanks for your grace and your goodness, for your word. Thank you that that you gave Hosea a word for your people so long ago and today, we get to benefit from that. Would you let us not grow numb? Would you let us not turn from the warning that you've given us? Would you let us just run fast to you? God, we love you and we need you. Thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name.